0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the Colorado Outdoors Magazine. My name is John Arnold, and today we'll be covering articles from the Colorado Outdoors Magazine website, coloradooutdoorsmag.com. CPW's March Madness, Walleye Spawn. Posted on April 12, 2021, by Bill Vogren. While college basketball fans sit glued to their televisions each March, Colorado Parks and Wildlife plays its own version of March Madness. Without fanfare, betting brackets, or one-shining-moment tributes, Colorado Parks and Wildlife biologists and volunteers head out at dawn usually in freezing temperatures, to front-range reservoirs, and spend a month capturing thousands of walleye and spawning them in a quest for Colorado anglers' precious aquatic prize. This March, Colorado Parks and Wildlife collected approximately 130 million eggs, a slam dunk for anglers statewide. It's particularly great news, after last year's disappointing, pandemic-shortened spawn produced only a tiny fraction of the usual haul, Honestly, it's hard to believe what our team of aquatic biologists, other Colorado Parks and Wildlife staff, and three volunteers were able to accomplish this year at Lake Pueblo State Park, said Josh Nearing, Senior Aquatic Biologist for Colorado Parks and Wildlife's southeast region. We weren't sure what to expect, but we never expected to catch so many fish and produce so many eggs so fast. It's remarkable. And anglers ought to be thrilled because it's going to mean great fishing in the coming years in Colorado. Almost every spring, Colorado Parks and Wildlife holds its March Madness at three state parks, Lake Pueblo, Cherry Creek, and Chatfield. There, three teams of aquatic biologists deploy at dawn each day for most of the month, working seven days a week in sun, rain, and often snow to gill net hundreds of walleye each day. They strip the popular game fish, one slippery walleye after another, of their Milton Roe, sperm and eggs, as the fish wriggle furiously in the biologist's cold, wet hands. Eggs are fertilized in a boathouse at Lake Pueblo or on a floating barge at Cherry Creek and Chatfield. When the fertilized eggs, often millions a day, are sent to Colorado Parks and Wildlife Hatcheries where they are hatched and nurtured until the fry and fingerlings are ready to be stocked in waters across Colorado. Typically, the grueling routine is repeated daily until they've produced about 120 million eggs. Only when the goal is reached can the madness end. Why does Colorado Parks and Wildlife go to all the effort? Because anglers love walleye for the valiant fight they put up on the end of a line and for the way they taste at the end of a fork. The walleye eggs are also valuable as Colorado Parks and Wildlife's hatchery staff trade them to other states in exchange for desirable game fish otherwise unavailable in Colorado. The annual effort has gone since 1988 at Lake Pueblo and, in normal years, involves a small army of Colorado Parks and Wildlife aquatic biologists, other staff, and volunteers who typically spend hours each day alongside the biologist untangling dozens of nets, each longer than a football field deployed each afternoon and left overnight in the lakes for the next morning's catch. Then, a year ago, came COVID-19, forcing a sudden stop to the spawning operation. One day into the 2020 walleye spawn, Colorado Parks and Wildlife aborted operations as the worldwide pandemic reached Colorado. Anglers feared their prized catch would quickly disappear without the human-assisted spawning operation. Sure, the walleye in the three lakes would still spawn without human interference, but the survival rate of the walleye eggs spawned naturally in the lake can be as low as 10%, while eggs gathered and fertilized by Colorado Parks and Wildlife aquatic biologists is typically as high as 80%. That's why Colorado Parks and Wildlife's and its predecessor agencies began spawning fish several decades ago, Nearing said. And the modern operation has helped boost walleye populations and ensure great fishing for anglers. So there was great pressure on Colorado Parks and Wildlife's team, Walleye, As it began operations this year, the pressure was made worse by the decision to limit participation to just a core group of biologists and only three longtime volunteers, Russ Dewey, Mark Elkins, and Dan Frankowski. Those three volunteers each have decades of experience. Frankowski first volunteered at the Lake Pueblo Boathouse in 1990, and all were vaccinated against the COVID-19 virus, and everyone wore masks for protection. In a further safety precaution, the net reefing operation was moved out of the cramped boathouse and into an open-air parking lot. It was stark contrast to the past several years when a large support staff and larger team of volunteers arrived each morning before dawn to expedite the spawn and to let the biologists concentrate on catching and squeezing the fish. Perhaps the volunteers' biggest contribution is the chore of reefing the nets. They dragged 32 heavy tubs, each holding a 400-foot-long gill net, and start hours of reefing, the process of untangling the massive nets. The work starts by taking one end of the long net and tossing it over a large plastic pipe hanging from the rafters of the boathouse. Then they stand and pull the 400 feet of net over the tube, inch by inch, removing tree branches, debris, and even old fishing lures, as they slowly and carefully place it into a new tub. Along the way, they also make repairs to netting ripped by the debris. This year, however, the 14-member Team Walleye was responsible for most of the prep work, rent stations, and all the sorting and counting. And with only three volunteers, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Team Walleye biologists spent what would normally be their lunch hours standing in the parking lot reefing nets so they could take them back out on the lake to be set for the next morning. But as bad as 2020 was for Team Walleye, the 2021 season was great. Deering said the overall walleye catch at Lake Pueblo was among the best in decades. It took only a few days for the Pueblo team to blow past its goal of 40 million eggs. The walleye and the eggs just kept piling up. This turned out to be especially important because Colorado Parks and Wildlife had decided in advance not to spawn at Chatfield this year, and the effort at Cherry Creek was partially held back due to COVID-19 concerns. A Record Spawn Carrie Tucker, aquatic biologist based in Pueblo, said she'd never seen so many walleye. It was an absolutely monster year, Tucker said. We've never gotten so many fish, day after day. It was great to be back on the water, and it's great to know our anglers are going to have a lot of success catching fish this summer. The number of fish netted each day kept growing until Nearing, Tucker, and the team spawned 158 female walleyes on March 26th. They were so surprised they wrote the number on cardboard and placed it in the rafters of the boathouse, noting it exceeded the previous record of 130 female walleye spawned in one day in 2019. In all, team walleye beat the 2019 record for daily female spawns three times in 2021. The box score showed that in a quick 16 days they had produced 90 million eggs from Lake Pueblo by far the majority of Colorado Parks and Wildlife's 2021 statewide total of 131 million eggs. The team also ran up the score by exceeding 9 million eggs produced on three days. Their best was 9.8 million March 29th. They further stuffed the stat sheet by producing 6 million sterile triploids. The triploid is a sterile walleye hybrid. Colorado Parks and Wildlife aquatic biologists like triploids, because they can be stocked in western slope waters without fear of reproducing and competing with native fish. Another benefit of the record walleye spawn was the production of 32.4 million guy. It's a hybrid made from sauger milt from Nebraska and Colorado walleye eggs. The guy loves shallow water, making it a favorite among shore anglers. In the college basketball March Madness, colorful confetti fell on the winners as they cut down the nets, at the end of the tournament. Only a light snow fell on Team Walleye as the biologists folded up the last nets on March 31st, ending Colorado Parks and Wildlife's version of March Madness. Bill Volgren is a public information officer for the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Southeast Region. Hunting Turkeys and Tyrannosaurus Rex Posted on January tenth, two 2020, by David Lean. It seems as inevitable as death itself for those of us who are addicted to the booming gobble-obble-obble of wild turkeys reverberating through the fields, woodlands, and mountains during springtime. As memories of fall hunts fade and winter takes hold, a new year begins, and thoughts of turkey hunting bubble up in our collective psyche. The thunderous gobble of a wild turkey is one of the most recognizable sounds in all of nature. A large part of what attracts me, and many others, I suspect, to turkey hunting, is simply the sounds of the tom sounding off. Every time I'm throttled by a booming gobble, I'm reminded why chasing Miriams in the high and wild San Juan Mountains of southwest Colorado is one of my favorite hunts. Mix in the strutting, spitting, and drumming experienced when a tom closes to shooting distance and you have an irresistible hunting combo. I do not hunt turkeys because I want to, wrote turkey hunting's poet laureate, retired Colonel Tom Kelly, in 10th Legion. I hunt them because I have to. Given the primordial instincts and urges these charismatic birds trigger in hunters, perhaps there's more to them than meets the eye, as Tom suggests. Wishbones The forcula, the technical term for a wishbone, is formed by fusing two collar bones at the sternum. It's an important part of a bird's flight mechanics, a connecting point for muscles and a strengthening brace for wings. The bone is elastic and acts as a spring that stores and releases energy during flapping. Ever try to snap a wishbone before it's dried? Scientists once thought the furcula was unique to bird, explains George Frederick in The Surprising Connection Between Turkeys and T. rex. However, now paleontologists tell us that the bone dates back more than 150 million years to two-legged meat-eating dinosaurs including the tyrannosaurus and the velociraptor. Although these reptilian movie stars didn't fly Frederick points out that their furculas likely served as structural support as the dinos dispatch slash ate their prey. The furcula is a key component of the commonly accepted theory that birds are the descendants of dinosaurs. From museum displays to feature films, Tyrannosaurus rex has been celebrated as one of the biggest, meanest, and ugliest predatory dinosaurs of all time, says Riley Black in Was Tyrannosaurus a Big Turkey? Smithsonian Magazine, November 23, 2011. Where did the name dinosaur come from? In 1842, English biologist Sir Richard Owen dubbed them dinosaurian from the Greek words meaning terrible lizard. The image of this long-extinct carnivore as the apex of the apex predator has a nearly unstoppable amount of cultural inertia, Riley adds. As stated by Buzz Belknap and Lois Belknap-Evans in the Dinosaur River Guide from 2015, scientists have found dinosaur remains throughout the world, including Colorado. Turkeys and T-Rex Colorado is also home to an abundance of turkeys. During the last three decades, Colorado's turkey population has surged to more than 35,000, and the abundant birds are now found in 53 of the state's 64 counties. Colorado has two subspecies of wild turkeys, the Miriams, which are found in the foothills and mountain meadows west of I-25, and the Rio Grande, which were introduced to riparian corridors on the eastern plains. If you're interested in seeing the turkey's T. rex ancestor, The Rocky Mountain Dinosaur Resource Center in Woodland Park is one option. The museum displays fossil organisms of North America's late Cretaceous period, including dinosaurs, pterosaurs, marine reptiles, and fish. Tyrannosaurus rex was fast and deadly, killing with its bone-crushing teeth and the phenomenal force of its bite. Tyrannosaurus had a huge 5-foot skull with powerful jaws lined with 10-inch teeth, Today, more than 35 specimens of Tyrannosaurus rex have been located, and the RMDRC skeleton is apparently one of the largest and most complete on record. Turkey Hunt With the first hints of dawn gracing the eastern horizon, in April, in southwest Colorado's San Juan Mountains, I listen intently for the sounds of gobbles reverberating across the frozen landscape. By 6 a.m., four toms are sounding off from the roost. Two west of the camp and two more to the north. I decide to sit tight until daybreak, when they'll fly down, then I'll start my approach. In the words of Colonel Kelly in Tenth Legion, all kinds of things can happen during this procedure, which in military circles is called a movement to contact. After daybreak, I have two toms responding to shock-gobble crow calls from a nearby meadow to the north. A low ridge runs above and alongside the meadow, After executing a movement to contact, i.e. gaining the ridge line, the toms are still gobbling in the meadow, but they're ignoring my slate and wingbone calls. However, they are responding to crow calls, so I haven't scared them off with my mediocre, at best, yelping and purring. I move cautiously along the ridge to gain a view of the meadow, but I see no turkeys. The toms are preoccupied chasing hens. I opt to sit tight and see if one eventually gets curious and saunters up the ridge for a look, knowing that it's not unusual for Toms to come in silent. At 7.30 a.m., I spot movement on the ridge, and alert Tom walks cautiously behind a tree some 15 yards away, searching for a hen. He moves into the clear, and it's over. I hiked a mile of pines before I heard what I really came to hear, the haunting gobble of a wild turkey. A sound as surreal as an elk's bugle, E. Donald Thomas Jr. wrote in Turkey Time on stockhuntingguide.com. On a calm morning, one can carry for miles. And in the words of America's greatest hunter-conservationist Theodore Roosevelt, a.k.a. Theodore Rex, in Lamar Underwood's Theodore Roosevelt on hunting, to kill a wary old gobbler by fair still hunting is a triumph for the best sportsman. David Lean is a former Air Force officer and co-chairman of the Colorado Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. He is the author of Hunting for Experience, Tales of Hunting and Habitat Conservation, and during 2014 was recognized by Field and Stream as a hero of conservation. Colorado Parks and Wildlife Mountain Lion Study Posted on March 7, 2023 by John Livingston Staff from the Gunnison Office of Colorado Parks and Wildlife have continued the second year of a mountain lion density study, and the investment in the research project has already proven beneficial in ways both expected and unexpected. CPW began the Western Slope Mountain Lion Density Study in 2021 in Middle Park in CPW's northwest region. Gunnison was selected as the second location for the study in the southwest region in 2022, and it has continued on across the Gunnison Basin in 2023. The purpose of the study is to get a better understanding of mountain lion populations across the western slope of Colorado. Through better understanding of the population density, CPW can make even more informed management decisions based on the science. A key aspect of the study is to get global positioning system, GPS, collars on adult mountain lions, along with numbered ear tags on each captured animal. CPW also placed remote cameras out across the region that help biologists recapture the marked lions versus those without markings to get a better understanding of the population. CPW has been able to successfully collar 35 Gunnison area mountain lions for this project and will look to continue to put out more collars this winter as conditions permit. GPS collar data collected from these mountain lions is showing some interesting movement patterns, said CPW wildlife biologist Kevin Bletcher. While higher concentration of mountain lion activity are being found in river and creek drainage bottoms and forested segments near big-game wintering areas, mountain lions are also successfully hunting in shorter vegetation types such as sagebrush. Fletcher noted home ranges for the mountain lions with a 10 to 15-mile diameter are common and home-range territories of multiple lions overlap extensively. That has also been seen in other modern GPS collar studies of mountain lions. CPW's Gunnison Area Wildlife Manager Brandon Diamond said it's important for residents in the area to remember mountain lions regularly move through surrounding communities throughout the year. Mountain lions are hunting in backyards for game more than most residents realize, Diamond said. If a person finds a deer or elk in their backyard that has mysteriously died, please call your local CPW office, especially if it appears covered up by snow, leaves, or grass. Those are all indications of a lion kill that it has cached. Reports of Lion kittens. C.P.W.'s Gunnison office has received multiple reports this winter of mountain lion kittens found without the presence of a mother. Management of these reports is done on a case-by-case basis, as most often the mother will return following a hunt. Once the mother mountain lion makes a successful hunt elsewhere and bring them to that new kill to feed, Bletchus said, after filling herself up, she will leave the kittens again to go hunt. Fletcher said it's most common for a mother to be out for one to six days between making kills. However, recent research in Colorado and elsewhere shows mountain lion kittens can go 12 days or more before seeing their mother return. CPW warns against the dangers of human interference with kittens and reminds the public that it is illegal in Colorado to knowingly feed wildlife. Human intervention on what appears to be an abandoned mountain lion kittens can often have unintended long-term consequences on the behavior of that family, Bletcher said. Moving a family of mountain lions from a backyard or city and keeping the family intact is challenging, and removing kittens from a mother that hasn't actually abandoned them can also be considered inhumane. Successfully rehabilitating mountain lion kittens and teaching them to hunt on their own for release back into the wild is extremely difficult and has a poor track record avian flu, and mountain lions. The Mountain Lion Density Project also helped CPW identify a diseased collared mountain lion in Gunnison that tested positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza in January. Given the elusive nature of mountain lions, it's likely this rare positive case of HPAI would never have been detected if not for Blecha and Diamond receiving a mortality signal from the GPS collar and being able to retrieve the animal to send it for testing. Since the first positive lion HPAI case was detected, a second-collar lion from Gunnison County was confirmed to have died from HPAI. Testing was conducted by Colorado State University in Fort Collins and the National Veterinary Services Laboratory in Ames, Iowa. Given just a sample of mountain lions have been collared, it is likely there are more lions out there that have died from this, Bletcher said. HPI spilling over into mountain lions would be expected when they are scavenging on the infected carcasses of birds that have died of HPAI. HPAI is foremost a disease among bird species. CPW urges the public to refrain from feeding waterfowl. Whenever waterfowl are present, it is currently assumed that HPAI is also present. Report Lion Sightings As the Gunnison office continues with its mountain lion density study, there are ways the public can help. CPW would appreciate any fresh sightings of uncollared mountain lions within 24 hours. Sightings of lion tracks and recently killed deer and elk can also be of great help to CPW staff. The goal of this project is to estimate the abundance of mountain lions in the Gunnison Basin and to help ground truth the accuracy of models that have mapped the density of the mountain lions throughout Colorado, Bletcher said. Mountain lions are notoriously difficult to enumerate given their cryptic nature, and so having this basic piece of information is a big step forward to better managing and conserving mountain lion populations in Colorado. To report a mountain lion sighting in the Gunnison area, call 970-641-7888 visit the colorado parks and wildlife website to find an office near you at cpw.state.co.us living with mountain lions recently throughout colorado the number of mountain lion human interactions has increased this increase is likely attributed to a variety of factors such as more people moving into lion habitat presumed increase in lion numbers and expanded range more people using hiking and running trails in lion habitat, and greater awareness of the presence of lions. For more information on living with mountain lions, go to the CPW website, cpw.state.co.us. John Livingston is the Southwest Region Public Information Officer for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Outdoors magazine.